If you glance at your bulletin outline, I don't want you to be too worried. Uh, if you look at the last point, it's point number 27. Uh, it's actually not the point number, it's the verse number. Okay, so I have just uh, kind of one little summary sentence I'm going to give you for each, each of the verses to try and unpack that. But I know you got off a little bit easy last week if you were here, but we're not gonna, I wouldn't do that to you with 27 points. But in order to really look at the uh, section of Scripture that we have today, which is Luke 9, 23 through 27, we need to back up a little bit, get a good running start at it. So let's start reading Luke 9, verse 18, which is last week, because what we're going to read this week only makes sense if we read it in light of what was said last week. So I really want to encourage everyone to have Bibles open. I do hear the, the rustling of Bible pages being open. That is music to my ears. I appreciate when you do that. So let's uh, read here Luke nine eighteen. Now it happened that he was, as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And that is the correct answer. And then Jesus says, and he strictly charged them, commanding them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day to be raised. So that's where we left off last week, but it continues on. So this is the new section for this week. Verse 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. We have to realize how absolutely shocking and absurd it would have been to the original apostles to hear this for the first time. For some of us, we've heard some of these words before, some of these phrases. We've heard it said, you have to take up your cross. And sometimes we even talk about that when there's a hardship in life. We say, well, this is my cross to bear. We've heard, uh, maybe you've heard the verse that says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and uh, loses or forfeits himself? Or other, uh, in Matthew, Mark, it says, or, and loses his soul. So we might have heard some of these things before, but we have to think, how would this have sounded to the original apostles here when they heard this the first time? And I think it would have, been, it would have sucked the air out of the room for them. Okay, they would have lost their, their breath as he, Jesus was saying this to them. This was a major curveball being thrown. They were not expecting this. They would have been absolutely shocked. And, and on the surface, this seemed absurd to them. When he says to them, take up your cross and follow me. <laughs> what? This would be Jesus who's the Messiah. And he just said, yeah, he is the Christ. He is 
the Messiah, this promised one we've been waiting for. And then he finishes that up right away by saying, take up your cross and follow me. Do you realize that would be like, to, to someone here, you're going into the, the revolution or whatever and, and saying, yeah, what I want you to do is come with me, follow me to the guillotine. We're going to the guillotine to get our heads chopped off. Come on, everyone with me. That's what it would have seemed like to them. So I think we have to think through, let's think through kind of the emotional flow, okay, of these passages. And imagine that you're Peter, you're one of the other apostles, as we think through this. So if we go back to verse 18, so Jesus is praying, the disciples are with him, everything's good, everything's, they're content. Jesus asks them, who do the crowds say that I am? And so maybe the apostles, they're thinking, they've seen Jesus do all these miracles, they're starting to suspect, I, I think this is the promised one. I think this is the Messiah that we've been waiting for for all these centuries upon centuries. And maybe they're thinking, maybe Jesus is finally going to come out and he's going to confirm this. He's going to really say that he is the promised Messiah. And he says, okay, who did the crowd say I am? And they give some of the answers. And I think the apostles are saying, yeah, that's who they say, but you know, uh, we think you're, we don't think you're just one of these. We think you're someone else, that you are the Messiah, but, but tell us. And then Peter just puts it out there, verse 20, and says to them, and, and replies, the Christ of God. And the way Jesus responds, he's saying, yeah, you, you nailed it. That is cor- correct. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. So at this point, emotionally, they're thinking, yes, it's true. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised one. Jesus is going to free us Uh, from the Romans. This is time for us to be liberated from them. This is going to be great. Let's start telling everyone. Let's get out there. Let's, Let's start this movement. I'm so excited. Let's get this going. And then the next verse, Jesus tells them, he strictly tells them not to tell anyone. At this point, confusion had to sit in, set in, saying, wait a second, what? You, you, You don't want us to tell people? I mean, we need to tell that finally the Messiah is here so everyone can gather together and, and follow you. If we're going to overthrow the Romans, we're going to do what we, we think you're here to do. So why are you telling us not to do this? Well, I don't get it. And then, verse 22, this is where their jaw drops. And he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, be my disciple. He says, here's what it means. He says, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. At this point, their, their emotions had to completely change. They're thinking, wait, what? Take a cross? That's where the, the rebels go when they are, when everything fails. Uh, that You go to the cross and you're executed. Uh, that's not supposed to be how this is going to work out. If you are this Messiah that, that God has planned, it's not supposed to, what? Rejected? Killed? This is a failure? We have to think how just absurd this would have sounded to them. So let's walk through each of these verses. So in verse 23, reading it again, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And here Jesus is teaching them that to follow Christ means self-denial. It means suffering. That's what is going to be involved here. Now, when we look at this passage, 
uh, there's some things we can learn here on how to take a look at the Bible and how to read it. Because I think it would have been wrong if I would have made the, the main point of this paragraph uh, something about you know, losing your, your soul. There's some great you know, passage, pass, there's some great um, uh, verses that are in here, some great phrases. But you always have to look at what's the main thing that is being communicated. And a great way to do that when you read Scripture is, look, is there an actual command that is given? And in here you give the command, and after this you see reasons for it. The other verses are going to say for, which means because, and he's kind of unpacking the reasons for it. So Jesus is giving a command. He's saying, first of all, hey, if you want to come after me. Now what he means by that, to come after him, doesn't just mean to, to physically follow. It doesn't mean that you're just kind of following in some kind of chronological sense. To come after means to attach yourself to, to a rabbi as a disciple. To attach yourself to Jesus as one of his followers, as his disciple. So for all of us, if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a disciple of Christ, this is what he's telling us that this involves. If you want to be someone that really claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to have attached yourself to him. And he gives three commands that are here in this verse. He says to deny yourself. He says to take up your cross daily. And he says, follow me. So let's think about each of these. First, he says you're to deny yourself. Now, we live in a culture that is the opposite of that. Almost every message you hear from society, from TV, from friends, from Facebook, it's never about denying yourself. We live in a culture that's all about affirming yourself. Everything about you is awesome. Did you know that? Everything about you is wonderful. Every desire you have, you should follow it, follow your heart, uh, because how could it possibly be wrong? Because you are just the most wonderful, special thing there is. And we live in a society that doesn't want you to follow yourself. You're supposed to look in a mirror and say, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and, and people like me. And every day to be thinking that. Like I said, if you have a desire, how can it be wrong? And if other people think it's wrong or God thinks it's wrong, that's, well, that's their problem. You affirm yourself and affirm everyone around you. But here Jesus is saying, no. The first thing he's saying is you have to deny yourself. And this goes completely against so much of what we get from our culture. Denying yourself means that you reject anything that you find in yourself that is not in conformity with God's will, even if it's something that you really, really like, even if it's something that you really, really want to hang on to. If you find something in your life that this is not in conformity with God, we, we reject it. We move away from it. We say, I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be a part of me because I am not the Lord and Master of my life. It's recognizing that there's a different Lord and Master, that, that God, that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and he's the one that we need to follow. And so we need to be willing, whatever it is that we find, to say, no, I, I reject that because I accept Jesus Christ, and I'm going to follow him. Really, it's another way of saying to repent, to turn from our, our natural desire we have that we want to be commander-in-chief of our own life. We want to be our own boss. We want to be autonomous. No one better tell you what to do. And we, we deny that. And we say, you know what? I give up leadership for, for my life. I am not my own master. To recognize that Jesus Christ is our master. But in order to do that, you have to give it up first. You have to, to deny means 
that we recognize that our ultimate loyalty is not to myself. It's not to yourself. You can't be Jesus' disciple if you think that you are still the Lord and Master of your life. You can't be saying, my will be done. So we need to deny ourselves, and we need to take up our cross. That's like saying, if you want to follow Christ, how this would have sounded to them is like saying, if you want to follow me, get the rope, tie it into a nice hangman's noose, slip it around your neck, and follow me. It would have been like saying to them, you know, put your head on the guillotine, that part where you're, you put your neck where the blade slides down and cuts your head off, put your head on the guillotine and follow me. Actually, let me talk about the guillotine for a little bit. Okay, the guillotine, uh, it's named after Joseph Guillotine. He's actually not the inventor of the guillotine. That was someone else. That was Antoine Louis, another French physician. But uh, Joseph Guillotine was the one that kind of championed it and proposing it to the French National Assembly as the new means of, of execution. And this is during the French uh, Revolution. And so it was first used in 1792. And they say that during the Reign of Terror, that there was probably at least uh, 30,000 people that became detached from their heads uh, by the guillotine in a short period of time. So you've probably all seen pictures of the guillotine. You know what it is. Uh, that it's, a, it's about 14 feet tall, and at the top there's a, a large metal blade with a bar. The whole thing weighs about 175 pounds, and it's on these tracks. It's curved, or not curved, it's at an angle. And so when they release it, it comes down, you have your neck on the guillotine, and slices your head off, your head falls into a bucket, and, and you're dead. And they... It's a ghastly thing, but we have to remember, they proposed this as a humane way of execution. Because think of what they would do before that. I mean, if you're being executed, a lot of times you're being burned at the stake. Uh, sometimes you've got the wheel. So there's this giant uh, kind of wheel that they would lash you to, and then they would break your arms and legs between the spokes of the wheel and do that and leave you there to die. Um, they, would, uh, they would quarter people cut you into four parts or pull you apart, some pretty nasty things. Um, or even before this, if they did execute you by chopping your head off, it was oftentimes a much more messy process. Okay? Uh, now, if you were a Roman citizen back in Jesus' time, you couldn't be crucified, you'd be uh, beheaded. But remember at those times too, before this, the guillotine, it was one clean thing. Before that, if they're just using an axe or a sword well, there might be some chopping involved. Now, I want to ask you this. Some, some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor Nate, <laughs> kind of giving us a little bit more than we need to know here on a Sunday morning. It's uh, kind of impolite for you to be talking about having, uh, hacking people's heads off. Here's what I need you to know. You realize in Jesus' day, it was considered impolite to even mention the cross. To even talk about the cross. You did not do this in polite society. It was something that everyone knew about, but you did not talk about this because it was, it was so horrible. You did not utter the word. I mean, we get our word excruciating from the cross. It means literally you know, from the cross because it was a terrible thing and people were familiar with it 
because sometimes they would be walking along the, the roads and the Romans, sometimes for miles, they would have different rebels or different uh, criminals. They would all be lined up on the road, one after another, crucified there. Uh, sometimes they're for days, sometimes their bodies being uh, left to rot, uh, taken apart by, by birds and animals. And it was a sign that you did not mess with Rome or this is what you got. But it was considered so ghastly that you did not mention this. So not only here is Jesus mentioning this, which would have been a taboo thing to talk about, but he's saying this is what you have to take up. You have to take the cross. You have to be willing to take this up because when someone would be sentenced to the cross, they, they carried the cross to the place of execution or at least the, the cross beam. And so when you saw a person doing that, carrying this, this was a one-way trip that they were experiencing, that they were going on. So there is nothing self-indulgent about being a Christian. Okay, This is something Jesus is calling his followers to sacrifice. To sacrifice even at the point of death. And for these apostles and for many Christians today, that's what it is. That you are following Christ even to death the utmost in self-denial. And so sometimes when we talk about, oh, I just got, I, this is my cross to bear. You know, my toaster doesn't work very well. These small little things sometimes. And there are things that are weighty to us. I don't want to minimize the troubles that you have, but Jesus is calling us to be willing to lay down everything to follow him. And to do it daily. This is not just for the start of the Christian life. It's daily laying ourselves down, being willing to pick this up and to obey him day after day. And the third command is to follow. And so again, it's saying here to follow means in this context all the way to death. Jesus is saying, I am going to be dying. And they figured out from this, this means you're going to be dying on the cross. And you're saying, follow me. It means follow me to, to the cross in the same way. Prepare yourself for rejection. Prepare yourself for suffering. Christians, those of you here that claim to follow Christ, Jesus is saying there will be consequences. There may be very serious, severe consequences. And we need to be willing to accept those consequences and that suffering if God calls us to experience those for his sake. Are you willing to follow Jesus when he leads somewhere, when he leads you in a direction or down a road that you don't want to go? Or are you only willing to follow Jesus when he happens to be leading in a direction that you wanted to go that way anyways. And Jesus unpacks this. He explains it more. Verse 24, he says, For, and that means because, so he's explaining this. Verse 24, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We'll summarize that. So a choice is being given to us to choose between your earthly life or eternal life. If you had to choose between these two, one is going to be maybe lost. And a loss here is a, it's a total forfeit. It's like a ship going down with all hands on deck. All cargo is completely lost. Your life now is a temporary thing. Even if you live to a ripe old age, it's temporary and it's so short. Your eternal life, wherever you spend that, whether it's in heaven, with God in joy, or hell apart from him in, in torment forever, that's an eternal thing. So put those on the scales. 
Okay, in your mind, put those on the scales and weigh those. Which do you really value? And which do you want to make sure that you are saving? You ever think about this? If you found out that your house is on fire, and may this, may this not happen to you, but if you go home and your, your house is in flames, and let's say somehow you realize you have a chance to get in there and to take one thing, what would it be? If you could just take, rescue one thing out of your house and that's all, and it meant everything else you're going to have to abandon. Now, if you could only save your earthly life or your eternal life, which would you choose if there was that choice and you had to pick one or the other? And the sad reality is that so many people will abandon their eternal life because they are so preoccupied and in love with their present life that sometimes they don't even think about eternity. They don't even think about the consequences. They don't even, they're so in love with this that there's no room in their heart for the love of Jesus Christ. We need to be willing to, to, to let that go. And thankfully, by God's grace, not all of us are, are called to, to physically die. But we need to be making the choice. Are you willing to do that if God calls? We don't know what the future will bring. But if we want to continue weighing this, Jesus continues to explain this. Verse 25, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. The whole world, the whole world is not worth losing your soul. In Matthew, it says it a little bit different. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So your soul or your, yourself, your true self that... Um, uh, the you that will last forever, everything about you, not just the temporary, but the permanent, the permanent you. What's more valuable to you, this short life or eternity? I mean, the real you, you are valuable. You're made in the image of God. It's more valuable than anything else that is in this creation. And, and for you personally, it is you forever you're going to be experiencing one thing or something else. And he says, if you, again, if you put this on the scales and you put everything you could possibly want, all the, all the wealth of this world, all the power, the privilege, the comforts, the joys, the uh, even good pleasures, bad pleasures, anything you could want and you weigh that against you forever, which should be more important to you? And think about this, if it's true, if Jesus is telling you the truth here, that even the whole world is not worth losing your soul, then it certainly isn't worth the very small things that usually we trade them for. That we end up saying, well, I am not going to follow Jesus because I like this little comfort. I like this little relationship that I have here. I like this little temporary thing that I'm going to be able to have uh, for, for a short period of time. If the whole world isn't worth losing yourself forever, then the small little things that we have definitely are not worth it. Jim Elliot was right. Jim Elliot was a missionary who went to take the gospel to the Aka Indians in Ecuador in 1956. They were headhunters, and when they arrived, they ended up spearing him to death. And they found that in his journal he had written, 
He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Having it all means nothing without Jesus. And this verse also gives us a scary realization. This is saying, Jesus is saying that you can be lost. That's a possibility. And lost into what? The Bible tells us that means hell. Eternal separation from God. Paying for what we deserve. Getting what we rightly deserve for our sin and rebellion against God. That's a real consequence. That is a real danger that is there. Jesus continues, verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Son of Man is a reference to himself. It's a, a title of the Messiah from the book of Daniel. And we can say this in verse 26. Maybe another way of saying this is that rejecting Christ will result in separation from Christ. To be ashamed of something means you, you reject it. And so here Jesus is saying rejecting Christ will re result in being rejected by Christ. If you're ashamed you don't want Jesus Christ, then you're going to be separated from him. And it should worry you. It should worry you that this is a possibility. That if you leave this life without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, You know, they say that people, I'm going to talk about the guillotine bit again. They say that people that are executed by the guillotine actually might be conscience, conscious uh, for maybe several seconds after uh, being beheaded. Maybe for as much as maybe 10 seconds or so. And they've looked at this um, lab rats. For when they would do experiments, they would uh, chop their little lab rat heads off I thought, well, this is a little humane way of getting rid of them. You know, it's, uh, you know, just, they thought it was kind. And then they thought, well, maybe we should kind of check this and make sure. So they put the little sensors on their, their little, most, you know, rat heads. And, and they found that the electrical current that signals uh, thought continued for about four seconds. The guillotine, the way it works, it deprives the brain of blood and oxygen, but it doesn't actually damage your brain directly. So it, it kills you by depriving you of blood and oxygen. And there have been some stories. They say that Anne Boleyn and Charles I both reportedly tried to speak after uh, being decapitated. In 1793, Charlotte Corday, a uh, year after the guillotine was invented, Sorry that the executioner, he got in trouble for this, but he picked up her head and kind of slapped her around on her cheeks. And it's reported that her expression changed. And that there was, there was quote, um, unequivocal indignation on her face for a short while. She didn't appreciate being slapped around like this. In 1794, a French chemist, Antoine, Devosi agreed to try and blink as long as he could, and he reportedly blinked for 15 to 20 seconds afterwards. Although there was another murderer who said he would try to just kind of wink, but it didn't happen. And in 1905, there was a, a doctor, uh, 
who was given permission to experiment with the, the head of a, a murderer that was going to be executed, and Henry Languille. And so, I know this is gruesome. He waits there, and there's a decapitation that comes. And he takes them, and he says the, the eyes and mouth kind of move spasmatically for a few seconds, and then it's stopped. And um, then the doctor cried, Languille! And he said the eyes opened, not as a spasm, but as if it was uh, knowingly. And he says, so look in his eyes, it wasn't like a dead man. And like the pupils looked at him and, and focused on him. And then kind of went down. And he did it again. He said, Languille! And he opened his eyes again. He tried it a third time, but by then it was, uh, it, he did not respond anymore. And you could tell that he was, he was just dead. This has had a lot of people really think about, is this really this humane thing? Uh, getting your, your head chopped off with it, with the guillotine, and has really worried a lot of people, okay? That you might be suffering some, some torment here, some suffering for, I don't know, four seconds, ten seconds, uh, maybe a little bit longer, you know, who knows? Yeah, many people very, very concerned about this. Let me tell you, it would be better for them to be concerned about the eternity of suffering, eternity, not 10 seconds, the eternity of suffering that comes from dying in your sins without a Savior. If you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you have never denied yourself and and turned to Him and realized that He is your only hope, that He is the one that came here to save you, that's why He died on the cross. If you've been just playing around, thinking, well, I'll call myself a Christian, it's good enough I put that on Facebook, I tell some people that, yeah, I'm a Christian, but really, in your heart, you haven't given yourself over to him. You haven't put your trust completely in him for who he is and all he did. I'm not about just being up here and just throwing hellfire and brimstone at you. Please believe that's not what I'm trying to do. But I believe to be faithful to this passage and what Jesus is saying, there are some truths here that should concern you deeply. And there's a danger that you are in but there is safety, there is refuge. Flee to Jesus Christ. He waits for you with open arms. He has already done everything that is required for your salvation on the cross. In faith, come to Him. Turn and trust in Him, the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And you can be rescued from more than 10 or a few seconds but for the eternity of suffering that we deserve. And instead, given an eternity of joy and bliss with Him, with the most valuable one that we could ever be with forever. So yeah, there's suffering, but there is so much on the other side of this. And that's why Jesus, I believe, He finishes this saying, yeah, there's going to be suffering. You think there's going to be glory right now. You want me to just come? Maybe you thought I was just here to free you from the Romans, to give you your your best life now and all of this. No, first there's suffering for me, and it's going to mean there's probably suffering for you too, but it's worth it on the other side because there is a day when the Son of Man is going to come in His glory and the glory of His Father and the holy angels. There is a day when He is going to return. This world is going to be made right. Jesus will bring justice to this earth and everything, no matter what God calls you to give up, will be worth it a thousand times over Verse 27, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. 
He's telling them, be assured, the kingdom of God will come. The glorious kingdom you're looking for won't come immediately. Suffering will come first, but it will be coming and the kingdom, it will be worth it. And I think he's saying, watch for the previews. Sometimes you, you see a preview for a movie or a coming attraction that's coming out. And yeah, you still got to wait for the real thing, for the main thing. And I think the ultimate kingdom that we're looking for isn't going to be here until Jesus returns and sets up his reign. But there are sneak previews that we get. I think next week is an example of that. We're going to look at the transfiguration where Jesus, the three of his apostles, shows them a glimpse of his glory that had been veiled. Let's see who I really am. Here's a glimpse. And I think there's a sense that even as, as we as followers of Christ, as we live under his lordship, as we live declaring he is king of our lives and we're going to try our best to live following him, it's a little foretaste, a coming attraction to us and to the watching world of what it means to live with Jesus Christ as our king and our lord, our savior, our treasure forever. Bottom line the bottom line of all of this is to suffer now with Jesus is better than suffering forever without him. Let me say that again. To suffer now with Jesus is far better than suffering forever without him. It's a true story of there's a renowned English novelist named W. Somerset Monkham and he died in 1965 at the age of 91. And Mungham was still enormously popular. He received, even at the end of his life, 300 fan letters a week. He was fabulously wealthy. And here's an account his nephew describes what it was like to visit his Uncle Willie in those days. He says, I quote, I looked around the drawing room at the immensely valuable furniture and pictures of objects that Willie's success had enabled him to acquire. I remembered that the villa itself and the wonderful garden I could see through the windows, a fabulous setting on the edge of the Mediterranean, were worth 600,000 pounds. Willie had 11 servants, including his cook, who was the envy of all the other millionaires on the Riviera. He dined off silver plates, waited on by his butler and his, and his footmen, but it no longer meant anything to him. The following afternoon, I found Willie reclining on a sofa, peering through his spectacles at a Bible which had very large prints. He looked horribly wizened and his face was grim. He said, I've been reading the Bible you gave me. and I've come across this quotation. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And he said, I must tell you, my dear Robin, that that text used to hang opposite my bed when I was a child. And you tell this man who had experienced all this success was thinking about it. He was weighing this with his, his soul hanging in the balance. And then he said, of course, it's all a lot of bunk. And the nephew goes on to describe just the bitterness that of his uncle's last days He would cry out in terror at night sometimes, go away, go away, I'm not ready. I'm not dead yet. I'm not ready, I tell you. Died died miserably. Had everything the world had to offer him. But his choice was to forfeit 
himself, his soul. You can cling to this present life. Here's your choice. You can cling to your present life and the things you think it has to offer, or you can cling to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Christians, spoiler alert, I got to tell you this, following Christ will not be easy. It will cost you, but it will be worth it. So take up your cross, deny yourself, follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the deep love that you have for us that you displayed in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we do not worship a Lord who tells us to go to die while he just sat in comfort. But instead, we worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the one whom we trust and the one who went first, the one who suffered more than any of us could ever possibly imagine when he hung on the cross, taking upon himself the curse that we deserve, taking upon himself the infinite punishment of hell for anyone, for everyone that will trust him as their Savior. And so, Lord, I pray that for anyone here that has not done that, who is still clinging to what they think this life has to offer them, right now let their heart be convinced of the absolute foolishness of this. And instead, let them turn to you and whatever the cost, to cling to you as their Lord and Savior. For those of us that are Christians, we thank you that no matter what you allow to come into our lives, it is worth it for the joy of knowing you and being with you and treasuring you forever. We thank you for the love of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, who rose again, and who bids us to come and follow. In his name we pray, amen.